Good morning, beloved. Welcome back. Friday afternoon. We made it through another week. I wanted to open today's, uh, I guess today's show with uh, something I think that we're all dealing with and uh, kind of expand on a conversation that Mrs. W and I had this week about why is it uh, that because of the last couple of years, we have been unable uh, to see eye to eye uh, with family members, friends, co-workers over things that seem somewhat trivial, but we can't seem to come to agreement on it. There's a new term that's uh, out and about uh, on the internets that I've never heard before, uh, and it's um, no contact. And I first started hearing it, you know, maybe a year ago or so, where people saying, I no longer, I have, I've initiated no contact uh, with my loved ones, uh, with my parents, with my children, primarily is where you hear that, from both sides. Um, primarily, the first time I started hearing it were from our friends on the left side, that they just can't get with their, their uh, parents or their dad's conservative views, uh, traditional values, and there is no way, even though that they are a blood relative, there is no way uh, to come together and to get along. And they're issuing, or they're initiating, what they're calling uh, no contact. Now. I've never heard of this in the past. Um, you know, I, I, I've come, I certainly come from a very dynamic family of, of uh, opinionated and hard-headed people. And there's always been um, things that we've disagreed on, that we, our worldview has been very different. Um, but even though it might come to you know, a frank discussion or even an argument at family gathers, gatherings from time to time, uh, it never did really affect the under, underpinning of the family, which was you know, blood, really. And that seems to have changed uh, after COVID. Um, it seems that um, folks are a lot more polarized. This, now, this is happening not only within families, but people that you work with and friends. We've been fond of talking about it here. We've talked about it many times um, about how we just cannot get with, uh, we can't understand what where people are coming from. Uh, we can't see their point of view. And if you were, the, the thing that's very frustrating, I think those of us, you know, most of us that are on the conservative side of things, you know, when we hear social issues and such, um, most of us are willing to, to, to take a, a look at it, to hear your grievance. What is it that, you, that it is that's bothering you? What's the problem with society? Uh, let's have a discussion about it. You know, maybe we can come up with something that works for everyone. Kind of, I mean, that's really kind of been the mentality. As long as it's not touching, you know, touching on critical things like uh, belief systems or faith, or faith, or, or things just our foundational core values. I think most of us have been willing to meet in the middle uh, and make compromises, and that's really what has been going on um, th this entire time. When you're a logical considerate person, you automatically, your default position is to think, well, if I could just explain my side, my perspective, um, I'm sure that everyone would be able to see things clearly. We should all be able to get along. Do we not all want the same things? Do we want to have a comfortable home and clean water to drink and energy independence and, and uh, maybe a little bit of extra money where we can have, a, have some fun and grill some steaks once in a while. You know, we're not asking for a ton of things, but you know, just some, some basic things. But what we're finding is we're meeting a wall of resistance 
uh, where the opposition is unwilling to make any concessions whatsoever. And I don't care how kind and considerate and, and um, patient you are, it comes at a, at a point when you're dealing with people, if they're unwilling to take the smallest step towards you, and all, it's always you that needs to make the concession, always you that needs to make the compromise, et cetera, et cetera, you, you, you've got to get to a point to realize, you know, th this is just not going to be possible. As much as I want this to work, as much as I would like to maintain this friendship, it's just simply not going to be possible. And those of us, I think, that are on the, uh, on the more conservative side of things are, are uh, a little bit slow at getting at that, um, still not believing that we can't reach across the aisle um, and come to some general understanding. I think what we need to, what we need to realize is that the, the battle lines have been drawn. They've been drawn for some time. We were just unwilling to really look at it for what it is thinking that we could, with our reasoning and our facts, that we could win the other side over. But there isn't going to be any winning over. What I, you know, like you guys, uh, after COVID and the way people reacted and the way people treated us because of personal decisions that we made, uh, we were really shocked by that. These... Um, allegations uh, and, and really mean and nasty things uh, were said, our reputation um, attacked uh, because of a decision that we made uh, to, to maintain autonomy over our own body. And it surprised me the, the, um, the ferocity uh, of these attacks from folks that we had had uh, long-time friendships with, some of them you know, pushing close to you know, 20 years and how quickly they turned on us and we became immediately the enemy. And there was all of the things in the past and all the relationships had, there was no consideration for that. Um, you know what, I, what we realized is that, I think what we're dealing with here, beloved, is I think we're dealing with a spiritual separation. Because Mrs. W and I, we sat down and we talked about it and we tried to figure this out. You know, can these relationships be repaired? Um, what if they came to us and said, we're sorry we said those things. Um, uh, we were wrong. We see that the, the facts are coming out now and actually it was you that made the right decision. And it was wrong for us to, um, to drag your reputation in the mud, to, to attack you. Uh, publicly to spread rumors, innuendo, etc. Um, those uh, apologies have not been forthcoming. Have you received any personally? Have you, did you, those of you who decided to maintain your personal autonomy when it came to the jab, uh, have, you, have you heard, um, have you had the ones that attacked you, coworkers, loved ones, did all manner of evil against you, have you had them come to you uh, and apologize? Yeah, I haven't either. So what I began to understand and when I started looking at all of this and looking at those, these individual people that I was dealing with, one thing that they all had in common is a lack of faith uh, in God. They're atheists, non-believers, agnostic at best. And what I, Mrs. W and I 
really came to the conclusion of and came to the agreement of what was that there will never be any reconciliation with this because this is a spiritual separation that God is taking place. God is through things that we can't completely understand. We're seeing through the glass dimly. God is separating his people, the sheeps, sheeps, the sheep from the goats. And there's no matter of anything that I think that we can do or concessions or apologies uh, that are going to repair uh, the damage that's been done or the rift that's been made between this. Um, and the quicker we come to understanding this, uh, the better I think life is going to be for us. I don't know what that means in the future, uh, but you know, there, there's st- for those of you who think that we're going to go back um, if we can just have uh, uh, get the right guy in office, if we can just uh, if we can win the house, if we can win the Senate, if our guys can get back in, we'll get it sorted out. And we will, uh, we'll, 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 we'll get an agreement. And we'll get America back on track and everything's going to be just fine. We've seen the viciousness of the adversary, those that are opposed to our lifestyle, our traditions, our faith, etc. Our views on the Second Amendment, whatever you want to call it. We've seen it. Do you think um, that they are going to have a come to Jesus moment when they are in the camp of the evil one? This is a spiritual battle, beloved. This is a war between, are we broadcasting? Is this like yesterday? <laughs> I think we are. Sorry, beloved. When I don't get, I'm not getting any feedback here. I wonder sometimes what's going on. Hold on, let me double check here. Oh. An audio problem, huh? Testing, testing. Sixteen. Hello, test, test, test. Did we really have an audio problem? Let's see, Overson's telling me four minutes ago. Quick plug check. No audio, huh? Man, I don't know what to do. High voltage mic, huh? Is it working now? Could you guys give me sevens in the comment if the audio is working? Interesting. Yeah, I had full, I had audio bars, everything looked clean over here. I don't have any idea with what's going on. Better? I'm waiting to hear from Overton here. You've got a tolerable buzz. Fixed. 100%. Okay. All right. So, uh, sorry about that, gentlemen. Sorry about that. I don't know if you guys had any audio. Did you hear anything we were talking about?
Boy, I can't. I'm, I, it's uh, really frustrating to have these technical issues two two days in a row. Yesterday was my fault. I didn't start the stream. <laughs> I played the intro uh, and didn't start the stream. Did you guys hear hear anything that we were talking about, or should we should we start over? All right, let me get reset here. Well, okay. Well, the point being is that um, regarding this no contact, uh, I, I, I think at this point, like, to kind of sum up the, the, the opening monologue here, um, is, is that uh, this was foretold in prophecy. This came into my mind, and I pulled this up, and I wanted to share it with you. It's uh, somewhat interesting. It, it does explain a great many things here. So, one message that the Messiah brought to us, our Messiah, when he came, is he was explaining, he was trying to prepare his 12 disciples the best he could for a very difficult job. He gave them a lot of information. He gave them a lot of knowledge about how to prepare for the future. Now, it's, he only had three and a half years to start this movement. That's really how long his ministry was, from the time that he was baptized in the desert by John the Baptist to the time that he was crucified was, you know, a little over three years or so. And we can see it must have been incredibly frustrating uh, for him trying to, basically feeding these men with a fire hose to prepare them for the very difficult work that would come, a work that would come under great persecution where 12 men were going to be responsible for changing the world, for getting this message out in a time where there was no internet, there was no phones or anything like that. So this was always on his mind. And one of the most depressing things uh, about the whole thing is the attitude of the disciples on that last day at the Last Supper. When Jesus came in, he realized that they were bickering and they were arguing amongst himself. Now, they'd been with him. Been he'd been teaching them for how long? For almost four years. Uh, you'd think they would have got it, knew what was going on and, and what, the, what the new kingdom was going to be and what his role was going to be. He spoke very clearly to them, pulled them aside, told them. And yet, what were they bickering and arguing about at the final supper? Who's going to be the greatest when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, becomes king, kicks out the Romans? We're going to be set up, man. We're in on the ground floor of this enterprise. Um, am I going to be Secretary of Defense? Uh, is Judas, Judas going to be the Minister of Finance? You know, is Peter going to be Captain of the Guard, etc., right? All of these things, that, that's what they were arguing. Who, which one of us is going to be greatest in these end times? Well, the lesson that he taught them absolutely cut them to the heart. He comes in, right? He comes in and he goes over by the door. By the door, there would have been a washing basin. In that washing basin would have been kept water or a pitcher with water next to it. Now, it was customary in those times, uh, if you had a guest coming over, you would wash their feet. Now, these are people that are traveling. They're walking everywhere they go. Dirt streets, uh, walking through 
horse manure, mule, you know, you can get to imagine. The, the, dirt, the streets were dirty back in the day, especially if it was wet and muddy outside. You didn't want to trample all that into your house. So it was a custom uh, that was done uh, at, at each household, every household. Now this job of washing a stranger or a family member's feet would have fallen to the least important member of the family. Most likely if you would have had a slave or a servant or maybe your children even. But it was very unlikely uh, and probably would not happen that the head of a household, uh, the matriarch, or the patriarch of the household would, would have ever stooped to do something like this. It would have been relegated to someone else. So to paint the scene, we've got all of the 12 disciples sitting around reclining. They're not sitting at a table like, like the picture showed. They didn't eat that way. They reclined on the floor, the Middle Eastern style. But they're all sitting around, and here their commander comes, the Son of God. And he looks at them, he surveys the scene, he bends down and he picks up the basin, the pitcher of water, girds himself with a towel and walks over and kneels down and starts washing the feet of the disciples. Well, they're just absolutely, well, 11 of them anywhere, are absolutely mortified. Um, why would the Son of God lower himself to do this? And the point that he was making to them was, if you're not willing to be the servant, then you're not willing to. Then you're not. You're not. You're not worthy of being part of the kingdom. And that's what's lost on a lot of these religious leaders these days. Um, the Catholic Church comes to mind with the opulence and the gold and the silver and the wealth and the, and, and the all of the pageantry is very contrary to this lesson right here or your TV evangelist preachers uh, with the private jets um, and the $50,000, $60,000 watches and the fleet of cars. It's contrary to that, unless you're willing to get in there and, and to do this work. So I'm just trying to paint the scene a little bit of what was going on at the time. So at the end, Jesus is trying to, to explain to these men what it's going to be in the end times. Now, one thing you have to read when you're reading these texts, there's, there is something, and I forget the term for it, but it's, it's like a duality of meaning. When he talks about something, uh, about fleeing Jerusalem and the final days, it can have oftentimes a dual meaning. It can mean an immediate time that's coming up in the future within the lifespan or lifetime of the individual that's hearing it, and it can have a secondary meaning that's appropriate for what will take place in the end days, which I think that we're in today. So it's just, an, it's just one of the amazing things that happens in the scriptures, these dual meaning prophecies. Because what, how God teaches a lot of the times and how this, this thing works is, is that through examples of history or allegory is a foreshadowing of what we have to look at in the future. One thing that's been coming up a lot, and I think a lot of you who are people of men of the book who study like myself and are interested in this, the thing that keeps coming up is, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the end times. Have you come across this? Well, when you come across this, and I've been coming across this a lot, as in the days of Noah, so it will be in the very end times. Well, what was going on in the days of Noah? What is, what is it? What, what, was, uh, what was the problem there? what was taking place. What was it that finally brought God's wrath upon the sins of man? Well, we know the story of the ark and such, and that's a perfect, a perfect example of one of those dual meanings. The ark 
that saved Noah and his family through the flood was a form of Christ. Noah didn't swim. His family, they didn't save themselves. They got on board. Whoever would have got on board of that ark would have been saved. You know, we know that the entire time that Noah was building and his sons and such, there was an opportunity. Not only was he, he was preaching a sermon with this build. You know that there was no water. There had never been rain on the earth until that time. No one knew what it was. It never existed before. It wasn't even in their reference. We're told from the old books that the, that the, the crops and everything was, were watered from the dew and from the water that came up from the ground, underground. And so he's building this gigantic thing that's never been built before, explaining to them uh, that there's going to be a day coming when uh, the heavens shall open up and pour down rain and everything will be flooded. And the only way to escape it is by getting on this boat. What's very similar to the message we have today. There is a judgment coming. Just like there was a, a flood coming. There's a lot of time given. God is very patient with this. Whole time... Noah is building, that was a very powerful sermon. Why is a man dedicating so much time, resources, and effort into this boat? Maybe he has a message. Is he crazy, or does he know something that we don't know? One thing we do know is that everyone that got on the boat was saved, and everyone who didn't get on the boat was not. Could more have been saved had they got on the boat? I don't know. I don't know. But the, we'll, we'll close with this here, but the point I wanted to get to, the interesting thing was here that in one of these prophecies about what Christ was, he was warning the disciples in these end days, trying to prepare them for what they had to look forward to, is a shadow, an echo into the future uh, to us right here today. And he goes on to say, he says, Don't suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, isn't this gentle Jesus, meek and mild? What's he talking about? I thought he was the Prince of Peace. What is he talking about? A sword. I didn't, bring, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword? What type of a God would do that? Is that, an, is that the angry, vengeful God that we keep talking about? Well, let's read on. He goes, goes on to say, A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now, this is talking about the final days. It's unthinkable. It was even unthinkable, I think, for my family and, and many of you before COVID, of longtime family and friends. It would have been unthinkable that these could have become enemies, in our, enemies in our own home. We saw it. We saw it with the J6ers. We saw examples of children that dropped a dime on their parents because they knew their parents had been in D.C. And there are, there are people sitting in jail for that. Your own flesh and blood from your own house. Can you imagine it? I'm seeing, I, I see routine examples. Uh, I saw a couple yesterday of women that have been married uh, to men for a long time. Uh, they're slowly, uh, have been poisoning, poisoning them for insurance fraud or just to get them out of the way or because they have another lover somewhere. Enemies in your own house, in your own home. The last place that you would expect danger and harm to come from. Have I shared that old story with you guys about the, uh, the doe with the one eye? I hate to pe always repeat these things, but we do have new people coming. The story goes like this. It's a perfect, I guess, allegory as to what we're talking about. There's a doe born with one eye. She can't see out of the other eye. She's in danger. 
there's hunters around and she can only see from one side. So she's always constantly worried that the danger is going to come from the side which she can't see. So she comes up with a clever plan. She goes down and she grazes by the seaside. She grazes by the seaside because she, there is no chance of any threat. There are no natural predators that come from the ocean. Any threat that would come would come from the land and she can keep an eye on that and she's, she's figured it out. Uh, no problem. No problem with the one eye. Well, a very clever hunter is watching this animal and realizing what she's doing. I know what she's doing. She can't see out of that eye. She's blind. She'll never expect me if I come from the ocean. Well, what does he do? He gets in the boat, paddles over there very silently, and with the, when he's within range, launches an arrow, and it's a kill shot. And in her dying breath, oh, hard fate for me that I should receive my death wound from a place which I least expected. The home, right? Who, how was Christ ultimately betrayed and crucified? What, what, what brought that about? Well, it was from someone from the inside. It was Judas betrayed him. So all of these are examples to us, beloved, in the end days. Those are us who, have, who have, are answering the call of God, who are being separated apart from his goats, from the, the agnostics, from the non-believers. Um, we have to realize that there, we may have a serpent in our house. We have to realize that there may be someone in our family that, just, that, that we, we are continuing to try to build relationships with and trying to mend, mend relationships with. This is not going to happen. They're, they're, it's just it's, the gulf is too far. They'll never be able to come to your way of belief because they're not of God. Jesus says, my sheep know me and they answer me. They come to me when I call them because they know my voice. He's calling, but if you don't know his voice, they answer to a different master. And so there's, it's not possible for us to come together. So point being, beloved, don't stop torturing yourself. If you've been beating your head, if you've been kicking against the pricks, as the old book says, uh, with a relationship, and it could be mother, father, sister, brother, could be your own children, could be a lifelong friend, 50 years, uh, that you're just not able to put together, just realize that there's more going on than just what you can see, that we are engaged in a spiritual battle and the sides are being drawn up. And... The full, more time goes on, the wider this gulf is going to be, and it's okay to let those things go. As hard as that is to do, if you've tried and you've tried and you've tried, and you're no closer to, to reconciliation, and you can see that they'll never, ever, short of a miracle, come to your way of thinking, then it's time to let them go, beloved. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't I'm not saying that you're not going to love them anymore. And you should certainly pray for them very earnestly. God can change the hearts of, of anyone. We've, we've seen that. We have the, the examples. But he may not. And once the, he, he has set everything in motion, and it's impossible for things to be changed apart from outright miracles. I'll close with this. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household, Christ tells us. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So he's telling us right there that you're going to have to make a choice. And you'll have to, everyone's going to have to make a choice. 
And this, this really cuts to the bone because we're not talking about cutting off acquaintances, coworkers, friends. We're talking about cutting off children, mothers, fathers, wives, if necessary. He concludes by saying, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So, that has just been on my mind today. That's something that uh, Mrs. W and I have had to really wrestle with, struggle with, come to an agreement on, kind of came to an agreement on it this weekend, this week or so, that we'll just have, we just have to let them go. Uh, as much as we have enjoyed those friendships and, and such, unless there is a serious reformation, um, we can't serve two masters. We can't serve God and maintain the, the values that are required of a person of faith, a person of the book, and also serve these people that are antagonistic or at polar opposites of our core values. It's just no longer compatible. And it's, I, think it's, I think it's just a sign of the times, beloved. It's a sign of the times of that separation that I talked about. There's a spiritual battle going on. And what I want you guys to take away from this, what I want me, my family, to take away from this is it's okay. This is outside of our controls. This is not about us not being forgiving. This is not about us not being uh, loving. It is so far out, outside of our control it's just time to, it might be time to circle, circle the wagons uh, and start protecting yourself and your family and to let these things go, as, as hard as that is going to be to say. All right, nothing like a completely disjointed, <clears throat> crazy rant that makes no sense. Standard around here. <clears throat> Let's see if the Super Chats will get us back online. We have a Super Chat from Fargoth. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. And good news, we just hit 1,000 members. 1,000 Wrangler Star members, and that is a very exciting number. I'm going to have to cook up something very nice for you guys this weekend. Mrs. Debbie's birthday is tomorrow, so I'll probably, won't be tomorrow, but maybe Sunday. We have a, our friend Stubby is back. Welcome, Stubby. Good to see you back here. Stubby's been with us for two months. He says, hi, Cody. My wife and I tried your idea of visiting a thrift store for $20. Now, every time I see an old ornate metal candy tin, I think that would be, a, that would be great to put my ballast doll rag in. Yep, I, I agree with that. I have my ballast doll rag right here. It is one of my top 100 favorite things. <laughs> yes, that's, I, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, Mrs. W and I actually did that when we were in Palm Springs. We were, um, you know, of course, when you're on vacation, you spend a lot of time walking around and looking at shops and all the different things that's going on. And there was, uh, we were in Palm Springs, which is a pretty posh area, and there was a uh, thrift store. And we walked by and we thought, I'll bet there's good stuff in there. All these, all these fancy people bringing their things in. And we did the same thing. Uh, we went in and walked around and, and looked at stuff, and it was fun. That's what we used to do when we were first married. And we didn't, uh, we didn't have any money to go out and buy dinners or gifts or anything like that. So we would do mystery dates to the local thrift store. We had, uh, we had two or three picked out that we would kind of rotate through every few months or so, and we would set ourselves a limit. Set ourselves a limit and go in and see what we could find. I was always looking for anything that was wool. 
uh, anything from like uh, Filson or Woolrich or Pendleton, anything like that. I, I would just go through there and look. And, and one of the worst things about when you're hunting for Pendleton shirts, man, have you ever heard of a false peak? Those of you guys who have been mountaineering, mountaineers or done a lot of hiking and climbing, where you're climbing up a mountain and you can see the top and you look at it and you're thinking, oh, goodness, I'm almost there. I'm dying up here. I can't wait uh, to, for this to be over. And you come up over the rise just to realize that that was not the peak, but just a bench. And the real peak is way up yonder further than you could possibly imagine. It just rips your guts out. <laughs> a false peak when, you, when, you, when you're thinking that you can't go any further and you're halfway there. Well, the Pendleton shirt, that's, the, that's, that's exactly what happens at the thrift store. I can pick out a Pendleton shirt from across the room. I know the patterns, and they just have a look about them, right? But I have to, I can only wear, I have to wear like a large tall, because I have big long monkey arms, or I can wear an XL. Um, but, so I, I go straight to them, I see them, and I pull them out, I'm like, excellent. And I look at the tag, and there it is, man, large tall or extra large, like, man, I, I got it. And just to throw it on, and it's two sizes too small because someone threw it in the dryer <laughs> and, shr and shrunk it all up. Every single one of those shirts in a thrift store, a Pendleton shirt, has been shrunk up and is now an extra small. It's very, very disappointing. Don't throw your Pendleton. Well, you can wash them now, the newer ones. But the old ones, don't throw them in the dryer. But shout out to you, Stubby. Uh, and the Ballastol rag, what he's talking about is Ballastol is a, is a great... Smells good, doesn't it? It's an old school, uh, it, imagine like a, it's like a WD-40, but it's an oily WD-40. So it sticks around a little bit longer. A lot of guys use it for wiping down um, gun barrels and such, uh, so they won't rust. Uh, woodworkers use it on the bottom of your planes. Like when you're working with raw steel, uh, like uh, hand planes, for example, there's a lot of oil and salts and chemicals, uh, corrosive elements in your skin that, that your skin exerts, you know, through sweat and such. Man, you touch that, it'll immediately rust. So I keep this in a tin can so that you can just wipe it down. Wipe it all down right before you go, and that way you can, it, it lasts forever. You can take your big bottle of Ballastol and you can dump it in there. Saturate that, get yourself a gun, gunsmithing silicone rag, put it in a tin can, man. That's where it's at. That's where you find something like this. And you should find, when you're looking for your ballastol can, you want to find the most beautiful, ornate thing you can find, kind of like mine. The gaudier, the better. <laughs> and if it's got rhinestones on it, all the better. Shout out to you, Stubby. I think that's great. I hope you got a good ballastol can. We have a super chat from the Green Thumb Patriot. Welcome. Good to see you here. He writes, God bless you, sir, for bringing this to light. A lot of Christians don't believe this is the end, the book of Revelations. Yeah, it, 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 cert it, it certainly is, man. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, I've read that verse, you know, I've grown up with that verse. And, and it never really carried any weight with me. You know, you tried, I tried to apply it in you know, different ways in the past, but it just really wasn't relevant. It was hard to even understand. I, I mean, how can, you know, in the final days... Would a family not come together, um, circle the wagons, so to speak, uh, to get through difficult times? Why is it that that doesn't seem to be happening? Well, what, and people of the book are oftentimes the, the last ones to see these things. Um, it, we're, we're in a spiritual battle, a spiritual battle. And if you are 
trying to maintain your faith, if you're trying to walk in the steps of Christ and you wonder why you don't have any friends or why your friends have abandoned you, why your family's abandoned you, you need to look to that. You need to stop, you know, if you're, if, if you're, being, if you're a jerk and just a, a disagreeable person, you know, let's not lump that onto prophecy. <laughs> but if you've tried, made every effort, and still you're just getting no headway, um, but things are even getting worse, that there's more division in your family, I would look to this um, as a result. So really the only thing that you can do to affect change in a situation like this, when we're talking about a spiritual battle amongst people or family members, is very earnest and devout prayer. Speaking of which, the middlemen have spoken, and we will be starting our four weeks of uh, Proho, our four-week Proho fast this coming Wednesday, this Wednesday. So they talked about it, they discussed it, they picked the date, they gave it to me, and so that's what we'll be doing. So if you're wondering what that is, in times, in the past, in times of, well, not in the past, always, this is the way it's always been. Your church, church hasn't taught you this because it's, been, it's the Laodicean church and it's still in Babylon. But I'll, I'm going to break it down for you and myself here as well. One of the most uh, powerful weapons that we have as armies, as, as soldiers of Christ, is prayer and fasting. And fasting in particular. Well, why? Why is this important? Does God just want us to suffer? Do we, does He want us to be like the Catholics and crawl upstairs on our knees and whip ourselves with cords and chains and wear hair shirts and that sort of thing? Just, just arbitrary tests of obedience. Does that make any sense? No, it doesn't make any sense. Fasting is done when, you have a, when, when you're really in need for something. When you have a very important special request. You have sickness in your, in your family. You've got um, spiritual apathy. You're praying. You don't feel like your prayers are being heard. You feel like God, like, like the, the ceiling is as, as made of solid brass and everything that you are trying to send up to the Father just comes back down unheard. I understand that. That's, that's real and that's a, that's, a, that's a terrible thing. When you find yourself in these situations or you're just confused or you're just, you've lost your peace or you don't know what to do, you don't know what decision to make, should I move, should I stay, should I quit my job, should I start a business? Should I go talk to this person? Should I not? Those are all per- perfect things and perfect times when you really have a need is to re- really rededicate yourself to the cause of prayer. And that is the, a good way to do that is through fasting. Now, there's no set time. I'm going to lay out a time there. You can follow along. You cannot. You can amend it to what, what works for you. If you have medical conditions and you can only fast, miss one meal, whatever. No one's judging here. It's, 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 it's not about that. But what, <clears throat> what I'm going to be doing and what many of the middlemen will be doing and many of you are going to be doing coming this Sunday is when we wake up, drink water, but don't eat any food. So when you wake up, the, how you start, properly start a fast is you get um, some oil. My family always used olive oil for this, anointing oil, as it's called. Anointing oil is common uh, in the Old Testament, in the old books, the anointing oil was used to a, to a, uh, from, for like a, a priest to anoint the new king. Uh, it was uh, symbolic of the covering of, uh, of the, or the receiving of the Holy Spirit. 
uh, of the Spirit of God coming into one. So it's, it's symbolic of that. So what you do, and the instruction is very clear, Christ laid it out, when you fast, take some oil and, and put it upon your head before you start. This is symbolic of the receiving of the Holy Ghost. Wipe it off. You need not make, let anyone know what you're doing. If you want to share it with your family members, and I would recommend you do that because it'll cause, if you've never done this before, and all of a sudden you're just not eating and skipping meals, I think it, it, it worries our family sometimes. So I think you should go to your wife and children and, and say, I'm doing this. So if I don't, I will sit down with you to eat, um, but I'm not going to be partaking. Just so they understand it. Make sure everyone's on the same page. And maybe they want to join you. Uh, you know, you never know. So do that. Do it privately. Inform your family if you need to. And then I, I would recommend that you drink water throughout the day. Uh, there's no reason not to drink water. That is, that's certainly in the spirit of it. You need, you need to do that. If you choose not to, that's your choice as well. But most, most of us are going to do that. And I would recommend you either choose, miss three meals, choose a 12-hour fast, um, or you can do a 24-hour, you know, whatever you think. I, I'm going to do a 24-hour, and we're going to do this for four days every Wednesday for, for a month, right? So that's what we're going to do. In that time, you know, and we can talk about this. I think we, you know, we have several days to talk about this, but I think that we should, you guys should be putting in the comments the big picture item is that us as a collective here uh, of soldiers of Christ, uh, if we could corporately be on the page for something, I think that that would move some mountains. That'd be important. So I know we all have individual issues that we're dealing with right now and concerns and, and needs. And there's no reason why you can't set, piggyback those on top of the big picture. But it would be nice for us to kind of come together as a collective of what is it that we're trying to do here? What where do we need guidance right now as to what should that be um, corporately as the group, you know, the big picture item. So put your requests in there. The middlemen are watching um, and kind of keeping track of that. Overton kind of distills that down to me and gives me the general consensus or the feel of the group from the big fizz group to the middlemen to all of you who are members, etc. So that's coming up Wednesday. So prepare yourself for that and I will be doing it excuse me, I'll be doing it right along with you. Our friend Dr. Prepper, welcome, welcome doctor, is in the comments. He says, have, he, he says, have you put much thought or prep into EMP resistant vehicles, farm, work, equipment? Imagine having a truck, chainsaw, tractor could go a long ways. Yeah, Mrs. W and I have been talking. She, she, she'd been reading all these um, Prepper books and she's been getting after me on a couple has been pointing out some of the holes that I have around here. And one thing that we have been talking about is um, having a vehicle. What he's talking about, if you, what Dr. Prepper's talking about, I guess prefaces really quickly, is that it's, it's, we've been told that there, in the event of, a, of an atomic weapon going off, or there may even be dedicated weapons that can be unleashed in the atmosphere or the stratosphere, or whatever it is, uh, that can essentially fry all electronics. I think most of us here are very familiar with this concept. An EMP, an electromagnetic pulse. Now, I have went round and round with a lot of different people trying to get information on this, and it's hard really to get true. Some people will say, well, if you put uh, your stuff in a Faraday cage, 
uh, of such, such and such thickness and such and such material, um, it will protect it. And there's a lot of dudes doing that. There's a lot of people that have taken um, electronic ignitions for critical tools. Let's say you have a brand new steel chainsaw. You, let's say you have a, um, a 461, right? It's got an electronic module in it that is all solid state electronic circuit boards and stuff. Now this is vulnerable to that. If that's fried, that saw is not gonna start. It's, it's not mechanical. It's gonna be, it's gonna have a problem. It's not gonna work. It's just basically a, a junk. So critical tools like that, it would be a good idea to have those shielded. Um, so will they be shielded if you have a metal building? That's been my question. I have metal buildings with, that are with big ground rods in the ground. Would that do it? How close do you have to be away from something? You know, all these things are just unknown. And man, you can get, get to the point where you try, you're trying to build defenses or you're trying to prep for every possible situation that uh, it becomes very, well, impossible, really. Um, but with that being said, what is gonna be, what's gonna be critical? Let's say we talk about the three things that every proho needs to really focus on. What's number one? You gotta deal with exposure. We can strip away all of the technology that we enjoy. We can strip away all of the busyness that we do, the hobbies, all of the things. We can strip, all of that can be taken away from us in, an, in, a, in it's overnight, in the twinkling of an eye. And it's not going to affect how you live and your health, really. Yes, it's not going to be as easy. It's not going to be convenient. Actually, if those things were taken away, and the fact that you had to get out in the dirt a little bit and be hands-on with, with providing for your family, I think that just the opposite would happen. I think that health would be increased. Vigorousness would be increased. Uh, a lot of problems would go away. Depression, et cetera, et cetera. You know where I'm going with this. But really, we really boil it down to three things that we need. We have to deal with exposure. How are we going to deal with winter, cold, all that, right? We've, most of us have that d dealt with. Not, most of us here not, are not out living underneath of a bench. After that, water. After that, fuel for energy. How are you going to cook with heat? You know, that sort of thing. So once those, you, let's say you have those established. Let's say you've got 10 cords on the ground. Let's say you've got uh, a good well with a backup hand pump, etc. Uh, let's say you've bought um, My Patriot Supply food and you've got three months, six months, a year of freeze-dried food for your family. You're sitting pretty good. Water filtration. Got some ammo. Got a few things. Blankets. If I were going to take this to the next logical step, what would be the fourth pillar of success uh, to go forward once these things are established? It would be some sort of a utility vehicle that you can travel, obviously. Right? Some people might say communications are more important than that. You, know, you, can make that you can make that argument, but I would say that some sort of a vehicle. A vehicle that is a, an EMP-proof vehicle, what is that? What would that look like? Well, that would look like anything that's old from probably pre-70s or so. Maybe you know, right, right around in, in the mid, er, yeah, right in the early '70s, mid '70s is when the electronic ignitions came in that we got away from the condenser and points. But even then, back then, you know, is the condenser and such that still we still had a coil in those vehicles. Um, 
I, I think really to be EMP proof and safe, you'd have to go back to Magneto. You know, what's that Model A? <laughs> you know, so that's getting back there. Where, but uh, one of the most popular vehicles and why you can't get deals on them are the old Cummins diesels and the old Dodge pickups. The first gen, when they first started putting those Cummins in. Because they have, I always say it wrong, is it a 24 valve, 12 valve, whatever. The simple ones, well, those and, and even some subs, I guess with a few conversions, even on those late model vehicles, I think it's mainly in the fuel pump system. You can go to a manual fuel pump, but you can make those vehicles completely, completely non-digital, analog, so that they're not relying upon any electronics. Now, will your radio in the truck work? Well, your heater, circuit board, you know, probably not. But I know friends that are doing that, that are having completely EMP-proof vehicles. And that would be very, very important. Um, but then again, it's still, if we're talking about a, 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 um, a situation where things are that bad, you know, now you have no, you're no longer producing fuel. So even that is a temporary fix, unless you are one of the very few people that has a, 50,000 gallons of diesel tank, diesel stored in an underground tank, and I don't know how long that's even going to last. And that's to say if it doesn't get contaminated. So again, you may have an EMP-proof vehicle, but you're also going to be, that's going to be limited on the amount of fuel you have on hand. I know, wood gasification, you know, that is always an option as well, but that's not an option for the masses. That's, op that's an option for a tinkerer um, that is in, that's his hobby. That's what he does. He likes to do. But that's not something that you're going to do without very particular skill set and have already thought about it beforehand. So, yeah, I don't know. Do I have? A, I don't know that I even have an EMP. My EMP per vehicles are bikes, <laughs> basically. Um, and you know, we've we talked about that. Once the, what would I do? Let, let's say that we're isolated here and it's the valley here, and everyone has to work together. The community. Uh, to get by on what they have. Well, there's a bunch of old vehicles here. There's a bunch of old loggers with old equipment. Uh, basically, uh, it, it, the, the main focus would be the majority of everyone's time would be spent doing three things. Pulling security for the community, and that is easy to do here. The, it's positioned in a way that's easy to defend. Number two would be providing fuel in some way, energy, for the community and with millions of acres just right across the way of the king's forest that will no longer be the king's forest um, that is an unlimited supply those all that can be brought down it's going to do two things it's going to heat feet heat every home in the valley and it's going to provide the ability for them to cook food as well modifications will be done to wood stoves etc those things will come back in. I was very interested to find out also, just in my particular case, just another little feather in the cap, that this area uh, used to run its own hydroelectric because of the way we're situated, and that all of the dairies and all of the businesses all received free energy for years and years uh, off of the hydroelectric micro. I would, it's not, not really micro when it's feeding the whole community. And then... Um, my neighbor's the water master. I've been helping him with the head gates and such. You know, he's he's in charge of that, and he's getting older. And so Jack and I and the some and, and uh, Jariah have been going up there and kind of helping him out with that. And I've been learning about this a lot. But he showed me right the spot. Right, yeah, right here, right here was where the hydroelectric turbine was, and that powered the whole valley. 
We didn't have any requirements. We didn't need any any inputs from outside whatsoever. You know, that's pretty pretty astonishing. But things like that will come up, take place. There's a lot of small. There's a lot of really intelligent engineer type guys. You know, put that stuff together. And if it was done 50 years ago, it could certainly be done again. Fun fact: um, What I found out was. My question is, well, why did they take it out? That seems like that was the best deal ever. Free electricity for the community. Instead of buying it from a public municipality. Well, what happened was there was, how I understand that there was high water. There was a high water event that took out the head gates. Uh, they needed to be replaced. It was going to cost uh, a lot of money. Someone recommended rather than drawing from the funds inside the community to rebuild it, refix it. Uh, that we would apply for federal grants, federal money. And they came with the money, no question about it, to rebuild this, but with one condition. We will give you the money, uh, but you will have to decommission the turbine and connect to the, connect to the grid. That's how they get you, right? They get you. That's how they got all of the Laodicean churches with the 501C, whatever it is, the tax-exempt status, that they all... They all suckle off that nipple. And when you take the money, then you're subject to the rules. When you become dependent upon that money, then you are no longer can be objective. And that now you have to make a decision as a pastor. I'm either going to follow the decree of the state or I'm going to follow the decree of the Almighty. And what did we see during COVID? We saw a bunch of limp-wristed, milk toast, effeminate pastors that knuckled under because they didn't want to cross the state. And the deeds were written down in the book of life. We all saw it too. That's why so many of us are here that have left those things that we maybe even grew up in. We were so disgusted by the cowardice and weakness and lack of character and faith of these so-called leaders that we, well, we can't even look at them anymore. We lost respect for them, and rightfully so. We have a super chat from Tango165. Welcome, Tango, and a new member, Mr. Brian Hazard, our newest member. Welcome, Brian. Member 1003 at or near. Good to have you here. Thank you. Uh, we have uh, Tango writes, thank you for all your hard work with the content. It's greatly appreciated. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you, Tango. Thank you for your time and for hanging out with us. That's the, that's the best part. We have a new member, Farm Boy. Farm Boy's been with us for two months. Shout out to Farm Boy. And Paleo52, a brand new member, says, what do you know about Aero Precision Rifles? I know it's a good company. Um, I think it's right up there with the top, top tier. If we're talking about arrow, the same arrow that I think of up there in Washington. Yeah, actually I was, I did a, um, I have, I will be doing the next installment by the way, for members of, uh, we're doing a build using arrow lowers. Um, and so we, I can, what are we going to do next? Put the grip on and maybe do the trigger. We got to do that. So. I need to get back on that. Uh, they're great. They're components. The f I, I don't own one personally. The first things that I have purchased from Arrow uh, were the two lower uh, receivers I bought from them, uh, buffer tubes, some small parts and such. But my, 
my uh, neighbor and fellow warband member, uh, he has built all of his, I think, his last three anyway, of his uh, carbines and rifles with arrow components. And he, what he did is he buys, uh, there are some deals, if you go on their site, he was telling me that they have a scratch and dent where usually it's coatings problems and you can buy things. Um, I think he was buying lowers for like 60 bucks. So, but I think they're great. It's a good company. What I've seen from my small sample has been top of the line, really nice stuff. We have a super chat from Michigan man, Cliff. He's been with us for a month. Shout out to you, welcome. He says, I have a lot of experience fasting. Very excited to do it with Proho. I appreciate that. Yeah, me too. Uh, a tip, make sure to eat a nutritious real food the day before the fast and ensure hydration makes a huge difference. Yeah, that, that's a very good point from the Michigan man. Now here we have Michigan man who's redeeming himself. Mi Michigan has taken some hits of late uh, as uh, to their West Coast or potential, their application for West Coast status. It has not been going well for them uh, because of the, um, well, the things afore aforementioned, uh, primarily the deer tick problem. Um, but... Um, Yes, the day before, you know, one, it, talking about nutrition, I have really, be, I really realized this week how toxic and poisonous uh, sugar is, or the excess of sugar. Now, I'm not going to be a, one of those diet gurus telling you that you need to eat wheatgrass and seaweed, you know, let's come on, let's have some common sense here. But... In the time leading up to our trip going to uh, Palm Springs, I had uh, for, I don't know, I mean, quite some time, I mean, probably the last, since I really quit drinking alcohol, have, have really eaten probably the best I've, I've eaten in my life as far as the cleanest food. Very, very few processed foods. Mrs. W makes most things from scratch, uh, from quality ingredients. Yes, we'll have the occasional Oreo. We don't buy them, occasional whatever. You go to a birthday party, you know, they have a, one of those crappy cakes from Albertsons. You're going to eat it, right? Just to be polite. Small, but, <laughs> but all that stuff. I just don't eat that so much anymore. I don't drink sodas, sports drinks, energy drinks anymore. My vice is a cup of coffee in the morning, but I drink water or I drink kombucha. So, I mean, I'm not, it's not crazy or anything, but I, Mrs. W controls the food. She wants, she wants to have me around for a while, so she makes sure that, you know, that's, what, that's the way we do it. Well, of course, when you go on vacation, uh, one of the great things about vacation is all of those restrictions uh, are, are, maybe I'm the only one that does this, but I kind of look at it that way, is that, uh, well, uh, while the mice are away, right? When we're on vacation, we're going to eat cheesecake, and we're going to eat anything we want, and candy, and cookies, and all that stuff, and which I did. <laughs> I certainly did. I told you I gained 12 pounds in five days. Well, Thursday, yesterday, I was getting back into my, my I'm back into two weeks of my Wim Hof program. Took my cold shower, did my breathing. I was doing my Wim Hof breathing, and I had gotten quite flexible. I've never been a flexible person, actually, like usually quite a bit less flexible than most people. I think most men are that way. Uh, I, I don't know why, just the way we are. But I had, uh, was able to kind of sit, sit Indian style, uh, and I was getting more and more quite flexible compared to what I used to be before. After five days of eating all that sugar, you know, I've heard that it's inflammatory. There's a lot of inflammation that it causes and such. I, and I don't know all these things, but 
I, you, you get to the point when it comes to diet, you just quit listening because everyone, either they're grifting and they're trying to sell you something or they're the government and they're trying to make you sick and die early or be dependent on the medical system or they're just ignorant or who knows what. But I mean, it's hard, it's hard to even figure out who's telling the truth anymore. So you just get to the point where you're like, well, I'll just listen to what my body likes. And if something doesn't agree with me, then I won't eat that. I think that's really our, our diet plan. Pro-ho, if he needs to go on a diet, if he starts getting fat, he just goes down to one meal. That's what we do here. <laughs> we, just, we keep it simple, right? So I try to keep things simple. But one thing I did notice is that all that flexibility that I enjoyed and gained from lots of hard work over the last couple months uh, was almost went away because I, and I think it was all that sugar. I think that it, there's so much inflammation in the body and the muscles from that, I found myself almost back to square one. And, and I don't know if it's inflammation in the joints or what it is, uh, but I think it's the sugar to be honest with you. I really think it's the sugar. But to build on what uh, Michigan man is talking about, that's true. So, so Tuesday, next Tuesday, be deliberate. You know, try to drink, beloved, try to drink two quarts of water a day. I know it's hard. It's very difficult. I just poured it out all over my bare feet here. I'm staying grounded. One thing that helps for me is to get two containers. Uh, fill them up and you know, you know, you can kind of control what you have and drink two of those a day. Why is that important? You know, I, I, th I think that really I, for men, you know, one thing that we, those of us men t t have a lot of problems with, with, they tell us high blood pressure and with um, heart disease and heart attacks. And, and that's, that's all true. No question about it. But if we're just going to be logical and look at the body as a machine, uh, like it is, um, with pumps and plumbing and circulation and stuff, does it stand to reason if you are running a diaphragm pump for some, on some machine somewhere, that if you're trying to push uh, thick, heavy oil all the time, the thing's running 24 hours with a tremendous load, a lot of pressure on that pump, versus something that's a lot thinner, you know, 10 weight versus a 90 weight, right? How long is that pump going to last? You know, this is a very simplistic way of looking at it, but that's the way Proho needs to, to look at things. He's got so many things on his plate. Such a tremendous skill set that we, we, just, we just can't contain it all, right? So we have to keep, <laughs> we have to keep things simple. But I, I think really the crux of it is, is the two things. Carrying away toxins, you know, your bloodstream is, is able to move toxins, but I wonder that just taking, by, by staying, keeping water in your system, and if you're thirsty, you're, you're already behind the eight ball. You should take it, take it in throughout the day just to keep, keep your, the, the, your blood thinned, uh, just so your, your heart is not working as hard, to, to move things, any toxins that you've ingested out of your body. There's just, there's just a lot to it, but I think part of the of the, if you're doing the cold showers with me and you're doing the Wim Hof and such, I think the key component to that, really the third pillar of that, is that water consumption. I know it's, it's not, we're tired of hearing about it. We've been hearing about it forever, but no one does it. I know no one does it because I struggle with it. I know how hard it is, is to do. It's hard to add something like that into your life when you're just out and about and you're going and all this stuff going on. But I think it's important. So that Tuesday, before our fast starts next week, have some good nutrition. That's what I'm saying. Maybe try to cut back on the sugars. Make sure that you increase your amount of water. 
beforehand. Eat high-protein, nutrient-dense food. Have yourself a nice big steak and potato the night before, um, and that can help, definitely help carry you through. It's actually, I've done a week-long fast. The, the, the one-day fast is actually worse. It's, it's worse than a three- or four-day fast or a five- or seven-day fast. I've done up to seven days before. And, and if you talk to people that have done this, many people will say the same thing, that on the third or fourth day, you, get, you almost reach a, 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 a place of higher consciousness where you are above everything. You have a, um, a tranqu tranquil feeling uh, of calmness. Uh, you're not easily uh, agitated. You're not easily... Um, uh, angered, uh, and the food is n no longer, or the hunger pains are no longer all that intense. I've experienced that personally. So th the one day is actually worse. We have a super uh, member message from Rick Gates. He's been with us for three years. Mr. Gates is an OG member. Welcome. Happy Good Friday to everyone. Indeed. Indeed. I call, I have a, I have a, good friend of my moto buddies who's uh, Jewish, his family and his children. And uh, we sent a meal out, or sent him a, a text out to him, I think it was yesterday, uh, if he was going to do anything for the, uh, for the Passover. Uh, and uh, I haven't heard back from him, but uh, maybe we'll go do a, do a cedar event or something with them. He has a, his um, son's got a bar mitzvah coming up, and that'll be the, I think that'll be my first time First time I've ever been invited to one, so that'll be interesting. We have a super or member message, new member, Clifton Craddock. Welcome, Clifton. Welcome. We are very happy to have you here. Welcome. And a member message from Kirk Wagner. Mr. Wagner has been with us for 51 months. Shout out to you. Goodness. That is a long time. Thank you, Clifton. Thank you very much. Chris Crifton. Thank you, Kirk. Mr. Wagner. Thank you very much. 51 months. He writes, we only closed our church for about six weeks when we learned more. We told them they could forget it and open the door. Not one caught, not one caught it from the church. Yeah, and there's no problem with that. There was an overreaction by all of us. I think that's important to get out there before we start casting too many stones here. We were trying to get information. Uh, we were fed a lot of propaganda. Uh, we were told it was going to be only two weeks, uh, you know, the, the whole thing. And it only made sense. It, you know, we, we were arguing this from hindsight, obviously. I'm not talking about that. And, and six weeks is about right. The two weeks went by. People are starting to think, wait a minute, you know. And they said, well, just another week or two. But if you, six weeks, uh, I think most of us realized that this was um, this was maybe not as bad as they as they were leading us to believe, and churches reopened. Yep, good for you guys. Not all did that. I think most did not. Most did not. Yeah, these poor pastors, the poor pastors that were uh, that wanted to open up were so handpicked by uh, these um, over enthusiastic women in the congregation that they gave them no peace. Imagine if the truth was known. We have a super chat from Mr. David Max and brand new member. Welcome, David. Welcome. Glad to have you here. Thank you so much. He says, thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. You are very, very welcome. Very, very welcome. Boy, I am, yeah, I'm looking forward to this weekend. 
Friday is my favorite day. Mrs. W has a birthday tomorrow. Any ideas? <laughs> it's kind of weird. We were on my birthday. We were traveling, uh, and then we. I, I, it's really difficult with with our women. You know, these expectations are are one of truly one of the worst things in life. It's one of the most challenging parts of a relationship because I can say, <laughs> I can say that. Uh, well, last weekend. Uh, we took a trip and, and we ate out and had all these nice meals and, and uh, got her a new dress and, and uh, had a great time, went to a nice place and such. And, uh, you know, as we talked about it, like, okay, well, this is, we'll just roll uh, your birthday and my birthday and the anniversary all into one and this will just be the whole celebration and we'll just be done with it, right? And everything will be simple. And she even said that, right? But I know, <laughs> I know as much of a saint as Mrs. W is, that if there is not some effort put in uh, to the birthday festivities tomorrow, that, well, well, you guys know. You guys know. So, I'm going, here's what I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have to, the Sweet Loaf and I are going to have to be doing some baking tonight. So, maybe a cake, cake or cupcakes. Um, we'll decorate the house. We'll just, do, we'll just go full bore, do all that with the banners in the window, in the, in the, in the balloons. Maybe I should order some flowers, order some flowers, and take her out to breakfast. Do you think that's sufficient? <laughs> do I need to, do I need to go back down into town and get another, I don't, I don't know. But there, I, I think, um, I, I haven't quite got women completely figured out because they tell you one thing. Um, but then you find out that if you follow the letter of that, sometimes you are, uh, you wished you hadn't. So I think it's more about uh, the effort than actual what's going on. But uh, pray for me, beloved, <laughs> that, I don't, <laughs> that I don't mess this up. All right. Well, goodness. Well, I think that's probably it. I have uh, a lot of stuff I've got to do this afternoon. Um, I've got some stuff I want to put out for you members I've been excited about. And uh, I guess that's about it. That's about it. Look forward to the Sabbath coming. It's the, really the best day of the week. One thing that we kind of enjoy is to kind of shut things down a little bit early. And I would encourage you, I always do this. This is my custom. It's my channel. It's my live stream so I can do whatever I want. So if you don't like it, too bad. What you're hearing here is good for you if you like it or not. I really encourage you, though, beloved, to um, if you're agnostic, you're, you follow a, believe a di different faith, uh, to keep the Sabbath day. Keep the Sabbath day. The fourth commandment, fourth commandment is the only one that starts with remember. Remember the Sabbath day. Why? Because God knew we would forget it. We have, the day has been changed. We, as Protestants, and the Catholic Church marvels at this, they changed the day of worship as a sign of their authority, of, the, of being the mother church, uh, of the day of worship that God set aside in the fourth commandment, in the, the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, as the seventh day of the week, which most of us think is Sunday. It's not. Sunday is the first day of the week. Go look at your calendar. Saturday is the seventh day of the week. The Jews have never lost track of this. Our Jewish friends have kept the Sabbath from, for, for, for millennia, right? They, they know. They're very specific about this. They're very specific about the day. They're very specific about genealogies. You know, we know how they are. They, they're the, the longest running unbroken tribe of people uninterrupted tribe of people uh, that there is, as far as I understand. So we, there, that's, not, that's not up for debate, what the day is. We know what the day is. 
the, the curious part and what, the, what makes the Catholic Church constantly laugh at us is that us saying that we're Protestants, we're protesting from the days of Martin Luther, we're protesting the corruption and heresy of the Catholic Church as Protestants, of primarily, of iconology is a big issue, Mary worship is a big issue, and the priest class being an intermediary between us and Christ. That's really, if you're wondering what the big hubbub is and the big to-do is with our Catholic friends and us that are Protestants, uh, that's the, the main issue. What the Catholic Church has done is basically said that we will put a priest, a middleman, between you and God so that you come to Him and then He'll take your prayers to God. You don't go directly. That's why they tried to keep us in the dark for so long by keeping the books in Latin. They weren't available for the common people where they and they alone held the truth and they could basically dictate to, to the poor masses of uh, how things would be. But, you know, we know different now. So the Catholic Church laughs at us, Protestants, that continue to worship on Saturday under the flimsy pretense of it's the Lord's Day of, of a context, in my belief, that's taken out of context to justify Sunday worship, which is contrary to the Ten Commandments. And they say, well, they, we're no longer under the law. Christ came to fulfill, and, and he did away with all of that. Well, which of the other commandments did he deal, do away with? The first one? Second? Third? Fifth? Sixth? Eighth? Ninth? Tenth? Well, none of them, you say. Only the fourth one. Oh, okay. So he only did away with the fourth one that starts with the word remember. What do you think about that? It's important. What was done away with was not the day of worship. What was done away with was Christ was the fulfilling of the sacrificial system of the system of sacrificing animals and all of, the, all of those things that were foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice, which was the Lamb of God. Jesus called himself, I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. All of the sacrificing of the lambs, of the goats, of the oxen, the bullocks, all of that in the past, the doves, was symbolic of the ultimate sacrifice that was coming, which was the Son of God Himself. Those people, you have to remember, those people knew that God was providing a sacrifice for us, that we, the wages of sin are death. Someone's got to pay those wages. There are laws in the universe. Dark and light can't coexist. Good and evil can't coexist. Sin and, and, and righteousness cannot exist. So we can't do it ourselves. We, we're, we're marred in this world, right? He told those people back in the day, I'm going to be sending a Messiah down the future. He's even going to come from this group of people. I gave them everything they needed to know. But in that time, in those thousands of years, people were dying. Dying in their sins without access to the Messiah because he hadn't, for, he hadn't come yet. So there needed to be an, an avenue. There needed to be a, a, a way, a method for these people to receive forgiveness. And that these animals, this blood sacrifice, stood in proxy 
as a temporary fix to point to, symbolically point to the, the, the true sacrifice, which was the Lamb of God. So what was done away with, beloved, by Him coming was not the destruction or, the, or making the Ten Commandments irrelevant. Again, no one's going to be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a mirror to us, a mirror. When we look at them, it is a mirror that reflects all of the filth and sin upon us. When we contrast our life, when we start reading down those, do we follow those all? All of us will be convicted and know that we're guilty of at least one of these. And what's God tell us? If you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all of them. So that puts us in a very precarious situation. That's not saving us. That's making us aware of our standing. That's, that's showing, painting a contrast of us, our filthy lives, contrasting it to what a righteous life looks like. That's all that is. So let's be clear on that. But they have not been done away with. They're there and will always be there. They'll probably be in the museum in the kingdom. We can look back and see them. They're, they're immutable. They're eternal. That's why God writ them with, writ, wrote them on stone with his very own hand. What was done away with, and what, in my opinion, so many Protestant Christians believe are justifying the changing the day of worship, what they're, what they're, what they're missing is what was done away with was that sacrificial system. That's why the moment that Christ gave up the ghost on the cross, something happened inside of the temple. What happened? Well, the curtain was torn by unseen hands from top to bottom. Exposing what? Exposing the Ark of the Covenant. Well, why is that important? Well, in the sacrificial system, the Ark of the Covenant was in the inner chamber inside the temple. And that was to be seen and administered only once a year, and that by one person, and that was the chief priest. And he was to come there and to bring all of the sacrifices, the symbolic sacrifices that had been forgiven, or had been the responsibility had been taken in the shedding of blood of all these animals for the whole people. He was to bring them before God as an offering to him to receive forgiveness for, the, for all of the people corporately. Because that, that's how it has been done before Christ, before Christ ultimately came and did it. This was a, a foreshadowing of Him. No one was to see that. Even the chief priest had to go through an extremely rigorous set of rituals uh, to purify himself and wore very specific garments. And they even tied a rope onto his ankle and they, on the hem of his garment, laced it with bells in the shape of pomegranates. All this, you can read this all in the Old Testament, how God laid this out. Because if he were to have walked into that, pla that place of the Ark of the Covenant, and in the presence of the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, who actually dwelt for a time between the two cherubim in the, in the, the lid, or this, the mercy seat as it's called, if he had done things right and not followed the procedures, to the T, he would have been consumed and destroyed by the, by the glory of God. And those men that were in the antechamber there were not about to be going in there and fetching, fetching him out after what had happened. So the bells, they could hear him, the bells jingling and tinkling. They knew that he was in there moving around, ministering, doing the priestly work. He wasn't dead yet. And the rope around his ankle was to yard him out if indeed he had went in there unconsecrated. 
this was a very serious thing. And it had been done for a long, long time. Had been done in the tabernacle in the, back in the day before the Temple of Solomon was built and then ultimately moved into God's temple that Solomon built. And the same thing, just on a larger scale. So the symbolic thing, the, the, the thing that I'm getting at here is that, that there was a massive woven tapestry or, or fabric curtain that protected, that separated this room from the Ark of the Covenant. When Jesus gave up the ghost on the cross, that garment, that fabric, the curtain divider was torn with unseen hands, rent in half, exposing what? Exposing what was not to be seen, which was the Ark of the Covenant. That was symbolic of the rending or the tearing away of that old sacrificial system to be replaced by the new system. Jesus said, I have come to fulfill, not to destroy, not to change. I've come to fulfill. He fulfilled that. No longer will there be animal sacrifices. I, Christ, I'm speaking, he, he I made the ultimate sacrifice. I am the, I am the, the, the Lamb of God. Now that has been done for you. You need only to claim what I have done for you to accept me into your hearts and I will start changing you. That's how you're saved. You need to go back as were the days of Noah to tie this all together. You need only to get on the boat. You get on the boat and you are saved. You accept the blood of Christ, you are saved completely independent of anything you've done yourself. So to try, to try to explain it to you, what was fulfilled at the end time, it wasn't to change the day of worship. It wasn't to change the fourth commandment and, and remain. If the fourth commandment was to be changed, would there not something so significant as that? Would there not be references or mentions of that? You know, so this will, this will anger a lot of people. It always does. It's very, very controversial. Many of you are hearing this um, thinking that I'm a heretic. Um, some of you will accept it. Um, some of you know it to be truth, but you're unwilling to claim it because that would mean you would have to give up friends, pastors, church memberships, uh, and it's just asking too much to do. I get it. Some of you may come to this realization and be in a really tough spot knowing that God doesn't want me to work on the Sabbath, yet my job requires me to do this. What am I going to do? You know, you're not the first one that struggled with this. You know, I'm not going to tell you. I just, I just brought you what you might be considering the bad news. Some people will consider it the good news, but it's just the truth. God's people need to keep the Sabbath and the right day. It's not just any other day. If you think that it doesn't make any difference to God what day you keep, whether it be the seventh day of the week or the first day of the week, just miss your anniversary and uh, tell her three days later, next day, say, well, I decided, just say the next day, I decided that we're going to celebrate anniversary today. See how that works out for you. Dates and times, they mean things. They matter. They matter to us. They matter to God. That's why we have timelines. That's why we have prophecy. And uh, it's important, beloved. It's important. All right. Shall we wrap it up? Wrap it up. We, oh, so we have a couple more messages. We have our friend, Mr. Tony. 
Bologna, and brand new moderator. Welcome. I made you a moderator, Tony, this morning. You can thank Overton for that. He has a comment. Take over the house chores for the day and foot rub. Yeah, I think that that's a very good idea, Tony. That would mean making breakfast. I can take. I can definitely take her out. Take care. Knock out the last two meals. So that, that gets me off the hook. And every man, every pro host should be able to make a good breakfast. I think it's a good foot massage. We don't do foot massages, but I guess we could always start. Oh, there are other ways, right? Thanks for the idea. And Mr. Doctor Prepper says, "What do you have? Uh, what if you have work medical on the Sabbath?" Now, that is a different situation. You know, Christ spoke to that. I'll talk, touch on that. I was about to go there uh, because it is important. There are critical, there's critical infrastructure that needs to keep running. Let's say, what if you work at a nuclear power plant? What if you are a doctor on call in an emergency room? You know, are there, is there wiggle room on this? Christ addressed this uh, when he healed the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. To set the scene, it was early in his ministry. There were um, people crowding around, filling this little house, just splitting the seams. And there were, word had gotten out that there was an incredible healer in the midst. And so everybody with um, sickness, sick family members, friends were, were coming from miles around to bring them on. Some of them were carrying them on litters to bring them to this great healer. And there were also in this crowd uh, a lot of spies from Jerusalem, from the priesthood, from the class that were, that were concerned about who is this man? Is he going to cause trouble? Now the priesthood was very concerned about Christ's ministry, not necessarily because of what he was saying at first, but they were concerned if, that he was going to bring heat on them from the Romans. Now what the Romans, the Romans now at that time in Jerusalem, they were, they were in charge. They had conquered the, the Israelites and the Roman style of leadership was a little bit different than some barbarians in the past where they would come and they came into a place that was fun, had a functioning government rather than tear it all down raise it to the ground and destroy everything they would leave it intact and basically say okay here's how it's going to be we're going to we're going to bring in our guy he's ultimately going to be in charge of the place but we'll let you run your affairs um, and so that's what they did. You will pay us tribute, pay us taxes. Long as we get our tax money, it keeps flowing. Long as you don't rebel and cause problems, we don't have to send the legions down here, then you can go along as you always have. You're just going to be paying more taxes to Rome. Well, the Israelites, they hated this. It was terrible. And, and even though the priesthood, which was in their economy back then, the central government and the priest class, there was no separation. It was one basically. So the, the chief priest was the, not only the, the head pastor, but he was also the president, essentially. So they let him maintain his power. They, they stripped him of some powers. He didn't have the ability to um, drop edicts for capital punishment or put people to death. That ultimately had to come from the Roman authority. But they were able to operate in their day-to-day affairs. They kept themselves in, com in their lavish comfort and had their authority and everything from that. So everything was going along just fine. I think, if I had to guess, the, the, the church leaders of the day were more concerned about losing their status or getting, getting the heat of Rome on them and, and getting thrown out than they were about the salvation of the people. 
So their main concern when they heard that this influential teacher was running about, this, this, this Yeshua, this Jesus, stirring up the people, they were sending spies as well. They wanted to hear back. You know, what's he saying? What's going on? Let's, do we need to put an end to this or is it going to amount to nothing? So Jesus was, there were many people, different sorts of people around him with varying motive, motivations, right? So it's the Sabbath, and the Jews are all about the Sabbath. Man, they've got so many rules. They've, they've even taken the rules that God has laid out by not doing work, and they've added on them a hundredfold. You may only walk so many steps. You may not cook. You may not start a fire. You know, they, they're just piling them up until the point where the Sabbath became a burden upon people. They couldn't do anything. They were basically trapped in their homes or in their communities for 24 hours. So it was just the opposite of what God designed it to be, a blessing. It had turned into a, a burden. So, the Sabbath comes. Everyone's watching. Sick man comes in. I think he had a withered hand. And the Pharisees, the, the church leaders are watching. Is he going to break the Sabbath? Is he going to do something that's not allowed on the Sabbath by doing a healing? You know, we'll have him. We'll report back to the priest. We'll have him. He's a Sabbath breaker. He's, he's only fit for prison or worse. Well, he knew them. He had an incredible ability. I don't know if it was the ability to read thoughts or what it was, but he knew what they were thinking. There's many examples of that. And they're sitting watching him. He looks at them and he asks them a question. So which one of you, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, I, I get things mixed up. But the point is, which one of you, he looks in there, that if his livestock, his goat, his cow, fell into a pit, you know, they dug pits in those days to trap to catch lions. There was pits all over the place. Which one of you, that if your prized animal falls in a pit on the Sabbath day, would, would not go out there straight away, lay hands on it, and pull it up, rescue this beast out of the pit? Well, all of them knew there was an exception for that. Without all of them knew, well, of course they would do that, because that would touch on my finances. You know, you start, to see, you start to see what was really behind the Sabbath keeping and these rules. Well, they would put burdensome rules on, on men and women, arbitrary nonsense, but the moment it affected anyone's ability to make profits or touch, hit their bottom line in any way, well, we'll make sure, of course, of course you would go down there, lay hands on an animal, pull it up out of the ditch, or lest it die down there and you'd be out at a great financial loss. You've got to read between the lines on this. You can, you can get a feel for the politics of the time. So right there, Jesus, with him, with him admitting it, you know, he's, he had to think to his, in his mind, I got him there. He says, well, how about that? Well, how much more, how much more appropriate would it be to heal someone? Not only to heal, but to heal one of God's own children on the Sabbath. If you're willing to pull an animal to rescue an animal on the Sabbath, would it not be appropriate to heal someone that's hurting or suffering from a great sickness on the Sabbath? Well, he couldn't really say too much about that. He reached out and he healed the man's hand and he became whole again. And that's when the plotting really started against him when they took that message back that he is a Sabbath breaker. So he goes on to say, do you not know that the Sabbath was made for man? Man, man was not made for the Sabbath. This, this was made to be a blessing to people. 
So the point I'm making, you know, to speak to Dr. Prepper's comment is that, yeah, I, I don't think it's appropriate to empty out the hospitals on the Sabbath day. People are going to be suffering from heart attacks. Babies are going to be born. There's going to be car wrecks. No, it's okay. It's okay to do good on the Sabbath. It's okay to pull an animal out of distress in a well. It's okay to bring comfort to someone that's suffering. Now, with that being said, as a person of faith, if you're working in an organization, you're one of the few, is there an obligation for you to not schedule your work on that day, if possible? Is it possible for you, without losing your job, to have someone else cover that shift and you work other times? You know, that I don't know. But it's something to think about. It's something to think about. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's God, God left it pretty loose. He left it pretty loose. There's, there, there aren't a lot of... The Jews are, are very rigid about it. You know, they have, you know, I think every prominent rabbi that's come on the scene has wanted to add his stamp of authority by putting another rule on it. Pretty soon you have a whole book, and who couldn't even know what's permitted and what's not permitted. But God didn't do that. He kept it very vague. Don't do any work. Your maidservant, your manservant, nor the servant at your gate, or the stranger at your gate, nor the, your animals. So I think he left it vague for very specific reason in that all of our lives are very different and, it, and it, our situations are very different and you know that's one thing that's been a really a really important I'll close with this a really important lesson to me as someone who is very black and white and rigid and I've tried to really get down to the bottom of that you know I see things so clear so clearly to me and I'm around other people, and they, they don't see things so clearly. They're, they're more nuanced. Mrs. W. is more nuanced at seating. Well I, well, I will make a statement. This is the way it is, or we should be doing thus and so. She will almost always acknowledge this, but also preface it with a different perspective, or maybe the perspective of the person that I may think is in the wrong. And I used to get frustrated at this. Like, oh, goodness, you know, it's so clear. <laughs> it's, it's so clear, why does she not see it? But I think it's more loving. It's a, it's a difficult, it's a balancing act, man. I mean, we want to have standards, beloved. We want to stick to what we know to be right. There's, there's right and wrong. There's male and female. You know, let's not blur the lines here, even though everything around us is telling us that we should. There are some things that just can't be blurred. But there's also people in different situations that are less than ideal. And just because we have applied this rigid code of standards to ourselves and our families, that this is the way that it is, you can't necessarily project those on everyone else. Because the situations are just different. There is situational ethics. There are things that come up. And that's the whole story of the 66, is of God dealing with all sorts of situations that cannot be ran or managed by a hard set of rules. And the hard set of rules, the unflinching, unbending, cold reality of the universe are the Ten Commandments, and they are hard as nails. Go read them. There is no wiggle room. They are 
They're very hard. So trying to being complicated, fallible people in varying levels of difficulty and attacks with the adversary constantly at your heels, you know, to look at those Ten Commandments and to try to look at those at the standard. I mean, when you look at them, you can't help but just be depressed because they are a reminder to us of how far we've fallen from the ideal that God has laid out for us. So those commandments are there as that looking glass, that mirror to us. If we ever start getting up too high up on our high horse, we ever start thinking that we have arrived, we are now righteous people. And I've met people like that before, haven't you? They're insufferable. They're the worst type, where they actually believe that they're without sin, that they've, they've made it. And those people always, without fault, always look down on the rest of us as being the filthy unwashed. The good news, though, is... The good news is that we don't have to meet, by, meet that standard because someone has done it for us. And that's been extended to us. There was a man that was able to overcome sin and to walk according to those Ten Commandments and not to break them. And that was, you know, that was the Son of God. That has been given to you as a proxy to accept his life as your own. Now you can accept it and you can lose it. Let's not get into that nonsense of once saved, always saved. That's not true. That's not biblical. That's a dangerous doctrine of devils. What it means is that you're onward and upward. Hopefully, the year after you have committed yourself, accepted this gift, that you are moving upward, that you are more honest, that you have um, less anger problems, that you spend more time and are more attentive to your children, that you're accepting the change that comes that God is making, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is remodeling you from the inside out. You need to always be moving up and under construction. And if that happens the day after you accept it, you still receive the benefit. If it happens, it, it, it may be you accept it early in your life and you have to go through the, the Christian walk, the struggles of life um, for 40 or 50 years. You still have the same you still have the same reward at the end. Yeah. I think I think my me having such a black and white opinion or a black and white stance on everything is is really a direct result of just the environment I was raised in. It's us against them. It's our our church is the remnant, and it's us against the world, and just the, so many rules and regulations that it just formed a particular character of just very black and white way of looking at things. And the hardest part is, is finding that middle ground of being flexible enough to understand that people are in different situations and that your rigid rules may not be appropriate for them or may not be applied or might be a harsh or overly harsh judgment. Uh, you have to be careful walking that line and not go too far where you become unitarian, a Unitarian and accepting everything and not having any standards whatsoever. And that's where we're really under attack. There's a lot of good people being deceived right now with the whole trans movement. 
you know, those people that are wearing the rainbow and and representing, showing up, and you know, I, th there are many of them that are d direct adversaries of us. That are, their intentions are evil, whether it be grooming or any personal benefit that they might find, or a way to feed their sexual deviancy. There's a large segment. Let's not kid ourselves that are that are that is their motivation. But there are an equally large segment of just do good people, good people that they're looking at it like, well, of course we don't want anyone to get beat up. We don't want anyone to be discriminated against. We want everyone to be treated well and kind. But they're the ones that are the worst. You know, they're 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 the milk toast people. They're, some of them, many of them, are even hanging these hanging the flags on churches, or even professing to be people of the book. You know, and that's that's the worst type. That's the that's the lukewarm that the good book talks about. God says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I'd rather you be a, my enemy or my friend. But the fact that you try to bridge a gap, you try to sit on the fence in the middle, somewhere on the, in the middle ground, not taking a side because you don't have the courage to do it, is revolting to me. It's, so, it's such an offense to me that I, I, I would vomit you out of my mouth, as it's put in the old King James. And that's where so many, the majority of people are, are, are sitting right now. They're, and what they're doing by, by doing that, thinking that they're being all-inclusive, thinking that they are the peacemakers in the final days, they're working against God. God is dividing right from wrong right now, as we open the, the show with. He's separating the goat from the sheep. There's a divergence going on. We're getting wider each day, the herd whether you be the goat or the sheep, you're getting wider and wider. There's a bigger and bigger gulf between us. And you hear have the people, the, the image of the people sitting in the middle, you know, like their legs being going further and further into the split, you know, trying to build a bridge, concessions. Can't we all just get along? A little bit of this and a little bit of that, we'll just mix it up into the beautiful melting pot and we'll, everybody will just be happy and everything will be the perfect utopia. But God has told us it won't be that way and is setting it up not to be that way. He's dividing his people. And you're working against him, it seems to me, if you're trying to make that happen. You need to choose a side, beloved. Whatever it may be, choose your side and draw your battle line. It's time to stop making concessions. It's time to stop capitulating. Stop. It's time to stop using their vocabulary, uh, it's just time to stop all of that. And what does that mean for us as a country? I don't see how it can mean anything else than we're going to have to divide from one another. We cannot coexist with these people. We have seen the rhetoric. We have seen and are experiencing the violence. We cannot coexist with these people, even though they're family members, even though they're fellow countrymen, fellow women, fellow men, we cannot coexist. We cannot force something to happen that God is pulling apart. And that, I think, those of us that are hearing this and understanding this, this should be a great relief to us because it takes to remove some of the responsibility or the burden and the guilt that we're carrying around that we haven't tried enough, made enough concessions, or done enough. 
it's out of our hands at this point. So I think as a group here, um, I think we can, we are at the point now where we can, we can stop making the concessions. I'm not participating in this anymore. I'm not accepting the, these pronouns. I'm not accepting these ideas that everyone's the same. And if a man wants to do this, he can do that. No, we need to publicly come out and say it like it is. There are two sexes. There's a man and there's a woman. Anything else is a perversion and most likely, well, I don't wish them any ill will. I certainly don't wish any harm upon them, but I understand now that we cannot coexist. So there will be a separation um, and ultimately what, where is that going to get? Is it going to get to the point where it leads to a civil war? Does it lead to a point where it means the redrawing of state lines? Um, it's possible. I never thought it would have been possible, but there's more and more chatter on this and there's more and more noise on the internet every day um, that this idea, this what, what, what was once a crazy conspiracy idea is, is actually could be, it could actually happen. And when those lines are drawn, you know, it, it's going to be us against them. And the, the biggest problem is that you have uh, the most powerful people in the world that are controlling our governments, that are controlling our media and everything we hear, that are pouring gas on it, that are looking for any small opportunity or an outlier to, to pour that gas on it, to whip that up, uh, into, to, to uh, get as many people uh, riled up as possible and to foster uh, hatred between multiple groups. That's what we're going to have to deal with. So violence is most likely going to, violence is going to be more common, a more common thing that we're going to have to deal with. You're going to have to really be smart when you go out. You're going to need to take a hard look at your stance on personal protection, on your personal training, on what you're carrying, where you're going, how you're conducting yourself, whether or not your wife and children are going out unattended. You know, there's a lot of things that are changing in this world. And if you're not waking up to that and you think that this is craziness, then, you know, you, you, might, you might be in the wrong camp. Are you sitting on the fence trying to make peace when God has ordained otherwise? Are you fighting against God? I think it's high time to make a decision, whatever that may be. Make the decision that you think is right, who's on the winning side, and, um, and double down on it and go with it. Because I know for us that we're done making concessions. We're not wearing masks anymore. We're not taking, uh, we're not taking vaccinations. Uh, we're not doing a lot of things that we were, many of us maybe make concessions in the past. That ship has sailed. And I don't want violence, don't advocate violence whatsoever. Um, but I will, I will defend me and mine to the death, to the death. There's no, there's no level, there's nothing that I wouldn't do. There's no stone I wouldn't unturn to have to, to protect my, my loved ones. And I've already resolved how far I'm willing to go. And I've already resolved where my lines in the sand are. Uh, and I've already worked it out with myself, with my family, and with my God. Uh, and I will go to my grave with a clear conscience knowing that I did what, what is right. Because a man is worse than an infidel that is not willing 
to fight tooth and nail uh, to protect his loved ones. Let's not be confusing any of this turn the other cheek nonsense with the obligations of a Christian man to his family. Bit of a dark live stream today, isn't it? Sometimes that's the way it goes. We have a super chat from Mr. Anthony Arroyo. Welcome. Shout out to you, Anthony. And a new member, Speed Main Battle Toaster. Man, that's a good name. Speed Main Battle Toaster and brand new member. Welcome. Thank you, Speed. He writes, my church, which is Free Presbyterian Church of Scotland, holds to the reformer's view that the Pope is the Antichrist, but we still believe the first day is the Sabbath. Yeah, no, I get it. This is a very entrenched, entrenched thing. Yeah. The Pope, you're not the only one that believes the Pope is the Antichrist. I assure you with that about that. Now, question is, is this a salvation issue? I don't know, man. I don't know. I think it can be. I think, again, it depends. <laughs> if you have heard this and you've been convicted or you've maybe come upon this on your own reading and understanding, it's like, you know what, I think maybe we're on the wrong track. And yet you push it away for convenience because it's inconvenient for you to do it. You might be in a very different position than someone that devoutly believes and is sincerely wrong. But I, one thing that I, I am concerned about, and I would leave you with this, is that the question is, can you be saved if you're completely wrong about something that is foundational doctrine to people of the book, people of the way? If you're completely foundational wrong about this, but you're sincere, are you safe from the judgment? Sincere, like sincerely wrong, really truly believe something. I, I would say, it seems to me I would have to say yes. But I also know that the good book tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. So I also know that if you are, if you are truly searching for truth in prayer and study and fasting, that you are truly searching that's the most important thing to you, to know the truth and to know your God, that he would not leave you ignorant to this important truth. So that's my concern, that just because you, you are devout and you're sincerely incorrect, I don't know that that is, I don't know that that's an excuse. Just following orders, is it? You know, I don't know. But I, I find that hard to believe that if you are devoutly, especially in these end times, seeking the truth. I'm here giving this truth here. A lot of you are hearing this for the first time. This is how it works. This is how God is getting the message out with me and with lots of other people. And the church has been preaching that for a long time. And maybe they were wrong about it. Maybe they didn't understand it. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not judging or condemning anyone. My, that's not my job. My job is to make available the truth as I understand it. You know, I, ha I have to have that obligation. I, I, would, I would be guilty if I'm going to stand up here and be professing to be teaching the gospel or sharing the gospel. You know, I've got to share. I can't, I can't hide things that are inconvenient. And that's incredibly inconvenient. Can you imagine what an upheaval that would be in the 
Scotland Presbyterian Church as a whole, if the man in charge of that organization comes to the truth and says, we're going to make a few changes around here, you think that would go smoothly for him? Do you think he would keep his job? I do not see this realization coming from the leadership of the big churches, to be honest with you. I just don't see that happening. I'd see it happening as a grassroots um, on the fringes, on the margins of people that are actually really seeking the truth rather than just being fed, spoon-fed a dogma or a doctrine surely out of tradition. I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I mean, just, just hearing myself state, state that, like the, the arrogance and the chutzpah of some dude on the internet sitting in a shop um, going against thousands of years of tradition. Uh, I mean, just the arrogance of that is breathtaking. <laughs> but, uh, but man, you, you got to, truth is truth, right? Wherever it comes from. We've, our organizations, churches and everything have, have been wrong about many things. With time and the changing of times comes truth and revelation. Things change. New, new things come. New understandings. And did God not tell us in prophecy that right now, back in the days of Christ, you see through a glass dimly, but in the, in the final days that this will, things will snap into focus. Things you thought to be true, you realize were not. Goodness, I mean, it's just, it's, the cheek is staggering <laughs> when you think about it. But I'm not judging, you know, I'm not judging. I'm just, um, I'm just sharing the truth as I know it to be. We have uh, another chat from, a uh, super chat from Sped Main Battle Toaster. Thank you for your generosity. And new member, let's not forget that. Christ said he would never lose one of his sheep. Yeah, he said that no one can pluck them out of my hand. Now is that, when is that though? That will, that will be after a certain time when, when his sheep are sealed. But we know of many examples of, of Christ's sheep that have been plucked from him in the past. How about King Saul? You know, King Saul, he was, he was plucked from God. So, I think what that means, uh, uh, that's something I need to go back in and study a little bit. I think, I think what that means is that there was a time towards the end where God had separated the goats from the sheep, where the stamp of righteousness, the stamp of Christ, for lack of a better word, has been put on, a, on the remnant, on a group of people, and that they, at this point, are safe. They are sealed, that their fate has been, the fate of all men has been Decided. The door has been closed, so to speak. God, these are deep waters here. These are important issues, though. We have a new member, Mr. Alan Hammer. Welcome, Alan. Shout out to you. And Mr. Jason Barr writes, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh in which I will give for the life of the world. Yeah. I'll close with this from the first book of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God.
The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made with him, through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Can you imagine giving a gift to your children, the greatest gift ever given, a gift of eternal life, the opportunity to not have to pay the wages of sin, which is death, that someone else paid it for you, and to not accept it. And not only not to accept it, but to spit in his face. Can you imagine offering a, a precious gift to someone, and not only did they not accept it graciously, but they punched you in the head, and spit on you, set your house on fire, can you imagine how difficult it would be to have mercy upon people like that? And yet God does this every day. And not only that, those of us who have professed to be his children and to love him, how quick are we to run away, chase our own wants, lusts, and desires, and knowing better. He likens to people like us that, that of a dog that returns to its vomit. Oh goodness! Well, we have a lot. To, we have a lot to think about this weekend, this coming Sabbath. So I encourage you to uh, let every man be convinced in his own mind. But unfortunately, I brought this to your attention, and now you have to deal with it. You have to. You're going to have to make a decision on it. So maybe that might be something that we would want to consider to corporately bring to God. For, clearance and under, for clarification and understanding for our month of fasting this Wednesday. Just an idea. All right. Thank you, beloved. May God bless you and your families. I ask you, please keep my family in your prayers. We will be praying for you as well. Those of you who uh, will be enjoying the Sabbath, I wish you a blessed, a blessed Sabbath as well. and Keep us in your prayers. May God bless all of you. We'll see you guys, uh, see you members probably on Sunday. The rest of you we'll see, Lord willing, next Monday.